Thanks for listening to the New Life Church of Cersei podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today. You're about to hear message audio from one of our weekend services, but before you do, just want to remind you, you can tap the link in the description or text Cersei to 88000 to get connected and stay up to date with what's going on on our campus at all times. You can give online, join a life group, or find more information about joining a serve team as well. You can also request prayer. We love praying for the needs of our church every single week. If you have a prayer request, tap the link in the description, or again, text Cersei to 88000 for more information. All right. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Okay. Let me try again. How's everybody doing today? All right. Good, good. Hey, listen, normally I would say something about the school that's up in Northwest Arkansas, but I'm not today. We're going to focus locally on Harding, who's undefeated. Okay, let's do that. Let's do that. So, um, so glad to have all of you here on a beautiful weekend. Man, if it was just a little bit cooler, it would be the perfect weekend. Uh, But if you are just joining us, thanks for being with us today, and welcome to church. I want to catch you up, uh, up on where we are in a series about vision that we've spent uh, the entire month of October, and then we're going to do today and then next week and wrap it up with that. But it will be five weeks total talking about vision. And uh, so if you're just tuning in, I want to catch you up on that. So week one, our founding pastor, Rick Bazette, talked to all 17 of our campuses around the state by video, which um, we did that a, a lot more in our early days, but now we don't, we don't do it as much. Uh, but he decided I want to communicate to the whole state, and so he talked about there's no plan B. And uh, basically, this was a, a message saying, hey, let's go all in. Like, like there's not a secondary plan. Like the church is God's plan. It always has been. It always will be. He gave his life for it. So as believers and followers of Jesus, then we should have that same mentality of being all in and, uh, and coming alongside the thought that there is no secondary option. Week two, we talked about serving, and um, I took the angle of physical bodies and physical places, and so we talked about um, the responsibilities to our our children, responsibilities to students, um, responsibilities to family ministry, to hospitality, to the way that we do church, the culture of our church of just serving each other, and that was a biblical model, and how in Acts chapter two, after the Spirit had been poured out, It was just such a natural thing for them to want to turn toward each other and say, how can I help you? And so we talked about the challenge of just saying, hey, let's put a physical body in a physical place and to challenge you to serve. And many of you have stepped up into that, and I I, I want to thank you for that. As a matter of fact, can we put our hands together for everyone that serves this church on on a weekly basis? Amen. Thank God for that takes about, uh, just so you know, it takes about 70 people to make a, a service work, um, and that, that's everybody, from the first person that meets you in the parking lot to the worship team, and um, we're just so thankful for all of those people. Last week, I kind of piggybacked on week two, and I talked about outliving yourself, about how we don't have a lot of time with this era of church, that we have a small sliver of time in, in our stewardship of it. And uh, what God has given us in our lifetime, in our lifespan. And so what do you want to do with that? And uh, that's kind of how we, we ended it last week is, you know, now that, that you know that, how do you want to live your, your life out, okay? So outlive yourself. Today, um, I am going to talk on a topic I talk about once a year, and it is the topic of generosity. 
This is a topic that probably for me comes with as much challenge as Easter morning because it is, it's very personal, it's very charged, and it has been religiously abused. And so it becomes very, very challenging to speak about it. Um, but I'm going to do that today, and I'm going to make you some promises along the way in this intro, and I'll get to that in just a, a, a moment. But I want to preface all of that by saying this. If you're new to us, this message is not to you, but it could be for you. Uh, meaning that if you're trying to find a place to land, this message is going to help you regardless of what church you sink your teeth into. So we hope it's us, but if it's not, what I'm going to share with you today is still relevant to you to wherever you go and call home, okay? Now, if you do call New Life Church your home, this message is going to be a great reminder of the culture we are trying to build as collective followers of Jesus. What we want to do for our house, okay, in this moment, in this time, with that very small uh, sliver of time that we've been given that we talked about last week. So I want you to lean in today. I want you to plug in. I want you to stay for the whole duration of this message. And I just want you to hear um, clearly. I can promise you that... Um, I am going to give this message my entire best today. So if you leave saying, man, that was a terrible sermon, this may not be the church for you because next week will not be near as good as the effort that I'm trying to put into this message this morning. Let me start with this. One of the top five reasons, this is Barna Research Group, one of the top five reasons people are saying that they will not go to a church like they have, have de-churched. Now, th this may mean that they still are followers of Christ, but they're choosing purposefully not to do it with other people. So they have decided, I'm not going to have a, a place. I'm not going to have a home church. I may have a gathering of people in, in my home occasionally. I may have more of a life group version. I may have close friends around the country that I have a call with. But I'm not going to have a corporate worship experience. One of those top five reasons, and, and it, this has been this way for two decades, is the church just wants my money. So it's that I'm not near as important, my kids aren't as important, my family isn't important, my marriage isn't important, my needs, my personal development, all those things. But that church, those people, that group just wants my money. And this becomes something that is so offensive. It has, it has destroyed, in a lot of ways, the religious landscape of entire cities, entire states, um, have been affected by just a, a movement that says, hey, that place and those people just want money from me. Now, I do want to illustrate this for just a second with something really silly. But what if we had people at the end of service walking around and those people would come up to you and they would say, hey, what did you think about church today? And your response was, oh, I loved it. I, I, I love being here. My family really fits here. Um, you know, I, I saw some friends I hadn't reconnected with in a, in a while. And so, um, you know, I heard about Christ today. And so, man, I just, great worship experience. It was great. And, and once, they, once you said that back to them, they pulled their phone out and said, hey, this is going to ask you a couple questions. And um, at, at the end, if you'll just slide your card in the bottom. And, and it's going to ask you a couple of questions. You would be so offended 
Okay? And, and, and here's why. Because we don't believe church is, is a place for tipping. And here's the good news. We as, as a collective body do not believe that. We don't teach that. And so we see it as a place of generosity. And so what has happened along the religious landscape in many, many areas is that America has produced a Christian culture that has moved generosity to, to the side and they have created a culture of guilt. And that culture of guilt has produced spiritual tippers. So when you guilt someone into giving you something, hey, this is going to ask you just a couple of questions, then you just go for your immediate, and you're like, okay, what, what do I got here? Here's, here's a dollar, here's 50 cents, I'll, I'll give that. Is, that. is that okay? I'll just give that, that to you. And the church created accidentally over the past 20, 30 years a culture of guilt rather than a culture of generosity. And I hope that you see the, the difference in maybe the way you, you were raised and brought up and what you saw over the past several decades of what was supposed to be something beautiful that's now become dirty. And, 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 and you look at it and you go, man, that doesn't even look like something that would rep represent Christ. But I will tell you this, it's very difficult to teach on vision, to have a church that's loaded with vision, to have, have a church that wants to equate vision to practical and applicable daily, on-the-go the ministry, to have vehicles for ministry, to have ways for people to hear mass communication of the gospel of Jesus, to meet real physical needs and have that in motion without talking about generosity. You can't do it. And here's why. Because in order to talk about any vision, you got to have resource. Because where generosity ends, ministry ends. Now, I'm not saying that you can't ever go have a cup of coffee with someone that cost you a total of 10 bucks, and you get to have a great meeting with someone, and maybe they make a decision to follow Jesus. Is that ministry? Sure it is. But I'm talking about... On, on, on a macro scale, again, of mass communication, planting churches, affecting people's lives in a large, large scale requires resource. When the resource ends, the ministry ends. And so you've heard me say this a lot over these, these years. And I, I will tell you, I probably don't say this enough, but I think we are a fantastic church. I always have to be very careful, especially in our, our early days. I wanted you to know what I thought about this, and I would constantly communicate to you, we are not the best church in town. And we probably still aren't. But I will tell you that I think we are a great church, and that I think you are great people. I think you are overall healthy people. I think you are wanting to follow Jesus. I think you are a very low-maintenance church, meaning that I'm not spending all of my days putting fires out. I'm not trying to pull you out of enormous drama-filled circumstances. You are very low-maintenance. There is a high level of ministry and Christian IQ in this building. 
There are people who know how to follow Jesus. What does it mean to read a scripture and apply that to my, my life? Does that mean that all of us don't come with our stuff? Absolutely. We sure do. And we all have our horrible times. And we all hit bad bumps in this road of life. But that's why we're here for each other. But overall, you are, as someone who's just looking at you and assessing as a pastor, you are a healthy church. And I've been in unhealthy churches. And that's why I can say that with some confidence. But you've heard me say this before, that generosity remains a limiting factor for our church. We have talented people here. We have people here who serve in capacities, and we go, man, we are lucky to have them. We're lucky to have them serving our children, teaching them, leading a, a department, leading a life group. We have talented people. We have great volunteers, people who are consistent, people who go the extra mile, people who sacrifice to be here on a weekend to make something move forward. And it's amazing, and it's humbling to be part of that and to watch it happen. We have a great physical location until this incredible organization next to us blocked our view. And you think I'm being bold. Their name starts with the word dollar. And so um, we have a great physical locale, but collectively we have always, always struggled to develop a collective culture of generosity, meaning that the entire church is filling that, that wave of generosity. And again, I'll compare that to Acts chapter 2 to give you a biblical reference of people just saying, how can I help you? How can I help you? How can I come alongside of, of you? What can we do to make the church maximized, okay? And this can only happen spiritually because it will go against every physical and biological component that you have in your body. Generosity is spirit-led. Um, recently, there was a study out of, out of Stanford, and this professor thought that the results were going to produce that the best Givers, most generous, whatever synonym you want to use there, was going to be the, 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 the humanistic approach. Like saying just people who were just generally, you know, wanting to provide well-being for, for mankind. And what he found was it was followers of Jesus. That they were the most generous people on the planet. Why is that? Because it's spirit-led. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's a holy thing, and it's a sacred thing. And woe unto all those others who have done anything else to make it ugly. Woe unto them. So I want to address the obvious. Some spiritual leaders, some churches have mishandled this topic completely to the point that it's been an embarrassment for all of us. And for that, I'm going to tell you, I hurt with you. You have to keep in mind, I'm 50. I saw Christian television in the 80s. It was awful. Come on, somebody. Right? You, you would be flipping through, and you would stop, and not because you were enjoying it, but because you could not believe what you were seeing. And so I hurt with you. I'm embarrassed with you. I have that secondary embarrassment. 
You may be here right now and you have a valid story of religious abuse as it relates to church finance and generosity and even the accuracy on teaching on this topic. And again for that, I hurt with you and I am so sorry for anyone who has taken you down that terrible road. Knowing that, one of the worst things that I can do as a pastor is to always talk about the topic of giving. But one of the worst things I can do is to never talk about it. Because for me to be someone who's loaded with vision, try to give that to you, want you to feel it collectively, want us together as a church to move in motion towards something great that we can all step back from and look at and go, hey, we did that. You and I did that together requires a spirit of generosity. So let me hop in with, with some word and some talking points. Proverbs chapter 11, 24, the NIV says this. One person gives freely, but gains more. Okay, so I, I give it away and, I, and I, I get. Another, he says, withholds unduly. That word is just a spicy word for saying excessively. Hoarding. I'm going to hold on to this. Yet they find poverty. And a generous person will prosper, but whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now listen, the prosperity gospel fuels off of this. And I've told you before, I'm not a prosperity preacher. But I'm not a poverty preacher. I'm a provision preacher. I believe God provides for you. And I believe that, that this word, this, this, this text, will you keep that up there? This particular text gives us some space for interpretation. Okay, so I, I believe there's, there's some, some room here that would actually read this. A generous person will prosper in some way. Meaning this, we're act generosity activates spiritual principle for receiving something. And so this, this ridiculous thought that you're going to take Money, this happens to be a $50 bill. I take that 50 bucks and I put it in some giving capacity at this church. And tomorrow morning, a postman, for some bizarre heavenly reason, drops off 500 to you is not good theology. Can it happen? Yeah, if someone owes you $500. Come on, somebody. Eventually that runs out, right? I mean, how many people can owe you money? But when I do so spiritually, something comes back to me. It may be favor on my life. It may be a great friendship. It may be the life group that I needed to connect me to something. It may very well be, my sister, before she passed away, she said, she came to me one day, and she would shoot me if she knew that I was communicating this openly. But they had sold a house. They had $10,000, and they said, we are going to give this to God. And I said, man, that's, that's amazing. And I said, can you just talk to me about that? Like, what's behind that? And she said, because we are making a move from Blyville to Bentonville, and I need my kid to have some friends. And I'm trusting God with godly friends for my kid and so I'm putting this money into the kingdom of God. That is someone who understood provision. Like I am going to be generous because I'm trusting God that if I am generous to the kingdom, he is always going to be generous with me. 
Let's put this in a very practical sense. You grew up attending a great church, and I've told you this before many times, but we are not to, to the age yet, even though Adrian said, hey, you know, the Lord multiplies. It's hilarious, by the way. But if we are not to the place of being a generational church, meaning that you were a multi-generational church, that you've had kids and now your kids are here having kids. No, but you grew up in that. And so you sat in some incredible churches and had your life changed, went, went to some camps, went to some retreats, heard some teachings. Those things shaped the ethos of your life, and it was amazing for you. And that happened because you and other people were generous with that church. And the reason we sit here today in this gorgeous building, on this beautiful location, and we have what we have, and I would say it's very special, and that we have this, and that we have each other, and the, the, the ability to even have the vehicle to get in with each other is because you and everybody in here it has generosity. You make it happen. And it's a beautiful thing. So in honor of that, that faithfulness, I'm going to make you this promise. I'm not going to embarrass you or shame you on, on this topic. I'm not going to manipulate you on, on this topic. I promise to be honest with you where we are financially. And I will do my best to teach this accurately. And I hope your promise to me will be that you will let me teach you about generosity without closing me out. So to be a church who understands the culture of generosity, we're going to look at a few long-standing principles today. The first one is this. Generosity is not a debt. Generosity is not a bill for you to pay. This church is not something that has a sheet of paper that sits on your desk that you've got to get to once a month. And if you see it like that, you're not operating from generosity, you're operating from guilt. If you see the church as a bill, you're operating from guilt not from generosity. And that probably means that your personal theology needs to shift. It's probably a trigger from your religious trauma. And so generosity is not a, a debt. Let me, do, let me drill down just a little. Giving under pressure, and we're going to look at this in just a moment, giving under pressure is not only not generosity, it is not biblical. I just want to sit in the room for just a second. You giving under pressure is not biblical. But when we give generously, it becomes beautiful. Giving under law is not generosity. Giving under guilt is not generosity. One of the biggest shifts from Old Testament to New Testament was this. We're going to go from stone tablets to a heart of flesh. I want you to feel it. I want you to, to know that when you get rid of this, somehow the Lord miraculously transforms this into souls. I don't know how he does it. Can't explain it. Can't put it on paper. Can't make a slide for all of us to see. But it happens. He moves the church forward with it. And he always has. 
In Old Testament times, Moses had to get up and tell the people, stop giving. We have too much. I wish I could do that. I would love that. Wouldn't that be awesome? Get up one day and go, guys, i got to talk to you all. The bank has asked that we really slow things down. Wouldn't that be great? We're planting too many churches. We're doing it. Every missionary in the world has been funded fully by us. So knock it off. Okay? I do not want to preach giving as a law. I want you to hear, hear me today. I do not want to preach giving as a law or I will have to preach everything as a law. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7. This is what I'm going to give you. Paul talking to the church at Corinth. This is what he said. You must each, everybody say the word each. You must each decide, watch this prepositional phrase, in your heart how much to give. Let's modernize it just, just a little bit. You must each decide how generous you're going to be. And then he gives the polar opposites. He says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves someone who gives cheerfully. So he's saying this, if I'm under pressure, I may not do that cheerfully. If I do it reluctantly, I'm not cheerful. But if I find the balance for what each of us is wanting to do, then I give it and I do it cheerfully and it becomes beautiful. This is the most incredible and most iconic scripture I can give you for what the modern church should do in terms of generosity. And if each of us do it, there is no need within our vision. It's all covered. Because I believe that, that the Lord resources what he asks of you. Can I get an amen? Okay. Num number two, generosity is a response. It is a response to what? To good theology. You know what good theology is? It's this. We give because God gave. It is the culture of heaven. It is the culture of our Father. It is the culture of the Son to just be generous. What I got, you got. I will give it. And so we are trying to be like the Father, trying to be like the Son. We are, as we follow Christ, there's a natural inclination towards generosity. This next scripture is from the covenant God made, made with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, I, I, I want to read this thing. And I'm, I'm going to emphasize some words here. This is what he says. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. Or I'm going to make you famous. And you will be a blessing. And it goes on to say, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. It's powerful. Why would God bless Abraham? So that he could be a blessing. That he could be a blessing. That he could impact. 
that he could move vision, that he could create an entire generation of God followers, that he could get involved neck deep, drowning in the will of God for kingdom, capital K, and move things forward. Now let's talk about doctrine for just, just a second because, again, we're all coming from different backgrounds. Some of you are new, new to God. You're a new believer. Some of you are new to church. Some of you are new to generosity. And for centuries, the church has grown and churches have been planted. And the gospel spread all over the world because of faithful givers. So, hear me. Does giving get you to heaven? Come on. No. So, does not giving send you to hell? No. All right? Some of you were scared there. You're like, oh, God does it? Google that. Find out quick. He's asking. Giving is a language that communicates value. That's it. We give to what we value. That's it. So in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, he says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth. It's just honor. That's it. I'm honoring you. I'm giving it to you. It's gratitude. It's thankfulness. It's sacrificial. It can come off as worship. It's, it's a lot of things, but he says it well. It's just honor. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people gave God the first of their crops as an act of gratitude. It was just acknowledgement that it had all come from God. Again, to modernize that, it would sound this way. Lord, I'm giving you this because I'm thankful I've even got a job, that I got a car to drive, that I got a house to live in, that I had clothes to put on, that I had hot water in the shower this morning. God, I'm thankful that I had a seven brew. Come on, give God some praise. And so I'm just, I'm just thankful with gratitude. So I honor you with this to move the vision of the local church that is my place. It is personal, and I want to move it forward. It's generosity. I'm out of time, but I'm going to ask you guys for just a few more minutes. How many of y'all will give me five minutes? Okay, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. Okay, I'm on it. My home. Okay, I have to be an example. I've got to lead what I'm talking about today. This has got to practice what I'm preaching. This is what our family does. We are predictable givers. We give consistently to our church, this church. If I were not pastoring here, I would be attending here. By all metrics, I am not a wealthy person. But we have a spending plan and we have a savings plan. Therefore, we have a generosity plan. That's how our home works. I know what we can spend. I know what we're investing. And I know what we're being generous to the house of God is before we ever get paid. It's a plan. It's something we had to go to for 2 Corinthians and say, Robbie, what do we want to give to the house of God? What do we want to do generous-wise? Our giving, personal giving, is a reflection of how we value church. It is not because someone makes me. It is us going to the Spirit and saying, what do you want us to give out of what you have given us? We want to do our part. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm first a follower of Jesus. 
I'm on this thing with you. My calling, my purpose in God is to pastor people. But before I'm ever a pastor, I am a follower of Jesus. Like someone who just loves him and wants to move the church forward. And because of that, no one's making me give money here. I do it because I love the vision of our church. And I believe in it. And I would plant a thousand of them if God lets me. Third, generosity is rewarded. We don't give to get, but God always does it. I don't know how. But 2 Corinthians 9 This is the verse right on on the hinge of, hey, figure out what what you want to give. But he says this, God will provide you all you need. And you'll have everything you need and plenty left over to share. I always say this when I teach on this because it's critical. But generosity is going to require us as believers to reprioritize. Why? Because you are hardwired everything in you to want and want more. It's an appetite. You want it, you want more of it. Okay? First Here's the reprioritizing. First, every person in the room needs to fall in love with Jesus. That's it. Fall in love with Jesus. Get there. Love him, want him, serve him, get your life right. Do all of that. Fall in love with Jesus. Second, ask him, how do you want me to help your vision on this earth? Now that I'm with you and I'm all in, And every closet in my heart is open to you. What do you want me to do to help the kingdom? Barner Research Group revealed a pattern that was taking place in how people became de-churched. Y'all stay with me, okay? Because I really need some time this morning. The normal pattern was this, historically. That people stopped giving, then they stopped serving, then they stopped attending. What the pandemic did was flip it. So people stopped attending... Some were forced or asked to. Because of that, by default, they stopped serving. And then they stopped giving. It was, it was completely backwards. We were a perfect example of that. Because in 2020, when we were not meeting, our generosity was through the roof. And it was stronger in 2020 than in 21 when we came back together. It took a whole year to show the disconnect that people had with a church to play out in their generosity. It took this research group and said, Amen. That's exactly what happened to us. And even though three years later, our Sunday gatherings are fully back, what you may not realize is that you have left your generosity, some of you, in 2021. So we love being back. All things are in motion. All the ministries are back. People are back. New families are coming. And yet generosity, we're working off something from three years ago. So here's the practical application, okay? Kevin, what do you want us to do? I got two, two things here. The first one is this, consistency. Find out what the Lord wants you to do and just be consistent with it. Here, here's where this is going to feel like cold water, okay? But it's, but it's not, so just, just let me finish. One in three people, one in three, who call New Life Church home support it, okay? One in three. That means two in three, and I want to say this very respectfully. Hear me. I'm saying this out of love, very carefully, okay? Two out of three do not give anything for the course of an entire year. 
Okay? This echoes the study that 25% of those who attend church take care of 75% of that church's needs. My goal for us is to break the back of that statistic. All right? A great goal for us is this. Everyone do something. Okay, here's where he's going to break out Malachi chapter 3. No, I'm not. I'm just asking you. What do you want to do? What does the Spirit want, want you? Have you ever asked? Have you ever asked God, what do you want me to do? Because that's Paul's song to us. What, what do you want to do? All right? Everyone does something. And hear me. There is no dishonor in what you perceive to be less than. We had a lady, I tell you this every single year in this message, because it means that, that much to me. We had a lady, she's passed now, I'm going to say her name, but we had a lady in our church forever named Margie. Margie gave $2 a week, every week. $2. If she wasn't here, she mailed it in. It was coming. And to me, it was the most beautiful thing. Sometimes it was two $1 bills, sometimes it was a check for two bucks. And it came every single week. And there was so much honor in it. And if you compared that to what some people give, she, she would have easily gone. Yeah, I, I know it's less than. But less than, given by the great theologian over here, God will multiply it. It's miraculous how he does it. Okay? The second thing would, would be this. If you currently are not locked into generosity, that you would decide to be. That's what I want. That's what I'm asking. As a spiritual leader, as a follower of Jesus, not as a CEO of a nonprofit, as a pastor, as someone who loves Jesus, as someone who cares about your soul, I'm saying if you're not locked into generosity, you're robbing yourself. So here's the practical application. Okay, here it is. And I promise, I'm landing after this. I promise. Are y'all still with me? Okay, let me ask you again because that sounds like three of you. Are y'all still with me? Okay. If everyone who right now is not exercising generosity in this church in any way gives six bucks a week, it leaves kid life, little life, 412, the nursery, and student ministry completely funded for 24 months. Six bucks. That's one premium coffee at Seven Brew. <laughs> and I saw you with it. I saw you. You thought you were going to slip in, okay, with your chai latte? No. If you give up one of those a week, it funds five ministries for 24 months. If everyone who currently does nothing would lock in at $12 a week, Say, man, Kevin, really, are we going to go this embarrassing? 12 bucks a week? Are you, are you serious right now? It would expunge every bit of our FF&E, cover all of your staff for a year, and leave us with $100,000 to plant a church and fund a missionary. If everyone who gave nothing did $12 a week. That is one one-topping pizza a week. If everyone who gave nothing gave 25 a week, $100 a month, it would triple our budget. I want, I want you to feel that for a second. Triple our entire 
budget. Therefore, tripling every single ministry, outreach, church planting venture we do. Okay, $25, that is only one gallon of gas. Give it up, y'all. One gallon. Okay, you're talking about 17 miles for the kingdom. Bottom line, okay? And I, here's, I'm closing. Kim, Kim, wherever you are, come on. I need you to make them feel comfortable. <laughs> if you've never heard me say this, and if I don't say it enough, it's just because I want to be careful with you. Okay, but since I'm already out in bold land, I'll say it boldly. Here it is. We need you. If you think Conway pays for everything, you are mistaken. We self-support. And there are big things. There's a lot of vision. I believe with all of me that we are supposed to be heavily involved in planning a new life campus in Jonesboro. I believe we're supposed to send a team there. I believe we're supposed to be financially responsible to it. It's just vision. We give $5,000 a year maybe to the Child Safety Center. They do one of the most important jobs in this entire community. We need to triple that, quadruple that. Missionaries all over the world that we need to fund. Churches we need to plant. Pastors we need to come alongside of. Local ministries. Our own stuff here. A kid lifer should never come to me and go, Kevin, we got to have this. And if I have to turn to them and go, we just don't have it. It's Again, I'm, I, feel, I feel a twinge right there. I just want to be very careful. Whatever, you, whatever the Spirit is talking to you about, do. Not, not under coercion, okay? I'm not going to guilt you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm just saying this. We need you, okay? This is why generosity is so important. Because when we look at all the ministry that we, we want to do, generosity is what says this is what you can actually do. Okay. This is why we talk vision. It's why we do what, what we do. If we do not believe in the church, why are we doing this at all? But I believe because we're healthy, because I know you, I believe you believe in this. And I don't think you just believe in capital C. I think you believe in our church. You believe in this staff. You believe in it. All right? I'm going to ask you to stand all across the building today. This is obviously not a salvation message. So I'm just going to pray that the Lord speak to our heart today about this. I know this is food for thought. I know it's a big spiritual thing. But I'm going to pray that it happens for you. God, I pray over every heart in the room today. I pray if anything that I have said today causes anyone to leave with shame, 
that it would fall to the floor and be left. But I pray if anyone has felt a word from the Lord, that it go deeper into the soil of their soul. No shame. But God, I pray that we could be a church with a culture of generosity. That we could do more together than we've ever done. That we could feed more people, plant more churches, help missionaries, give students what they need. Little life, kid life. Support staff. God, whatever the vision needs, do it in us, we pray. So open our hearts to be generous. Help us be loaded with vision personally. To have the principle of generosity way down deep in my life. You start with me, you start with Robbie, you start with Riley, you start with our family. That we can be an example to this house of a lifestyle of generosity. And we give you thanks for that today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look at me. Thank you for the...